It's the classic rags to riches tale. A Mexican immigrant who never finished high school starts off as a janitor at a big American food company. Suddenly, he has an idea to make a snack that's spicy and hot. Flamin' hot. It becomes a hit, and now he's a worldwide hero. For years, that was the origin of Flaming Hot Cheetos, the wildly popular snack that inspired songs, memes, and scores of dusty, redder-than-red Cheeto fingers. But that's not what happened. I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today is May 18th, 2021. The Biden administration plans to send 20 million COVID-19 vaccines abroad. California's DMV investigates Tesla over self-driving claims. And the World Health Organization finds increased risk of death from working 55 or more hours per week. But when journalists do it, that means we live longer, right? Today, we're breaking down the myth of the origin story of Flaming Hot Cheetos with LA Times business reporter Sam Dean and our own senior producer, Denise Guerra. What happened, the snacks rise in popular culture, and why the urban legend does more harm than good for black and brown communities where Flaming Hot Cheetos are gospel. Flaming Hot Cheetos look like the junk food that they are. Each one is a small, gnarled, messy, crunchy corn puff. But when they debuted in the early 1990s, they immediately became a smash. Schools banned them. Hip-hop artists praised them. Frito-Lay, the mother company of Flaming Hot Cheetos, doesn't disclose sales figures, but the flavor undoubtedly sells well. A junk snack may not seem like a big deal, especially in this current world we're in. But the story of Flaming Hot Cheetos and its creation has long been told as an inspirational fable from classrooms to boardrooms because of one man, Richard Montañez. His tale was irresistible. He was a former janitor at a Frito-Lay plant who became a high-ranking executive. That is all true, but he credited his rise to the creation of Flaming Hot Cheetos. My colleague Sam Dean recently spent a year trying to uncover the story. It published this past Sunday and had the internet, well, in flames. Sam, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having me. So how did this investigation come about? You usually write about tech, not about uh, flaming hot chips or anything. Well, yeah. I mean, I have a kind of uh, backstory in food journalism stuff. I was a blogger at Bon Appetit way back in 2011 for a little bit and then, you know, wrote for uh, some food magazines before then. So this this kind of came in through a tip line and then uh, editors just directed it towards me as a food-focused person in the business department. Your story came at a time right before uh, Richard Montañez is going to come out with his second memoir, right when there's buzz in Hollywood about Eva Longoria directing a film about him. So had you ever heard of the story before this tip came into you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think it's hard to avoid if you've just lived on the internet enough. Uh, it's just one of those stories that's just floated around for years you know, there's been so many video spots, BuzzFeed slideshow type things, you know, just kind of endless stories of this. It's just a very feel good story. It's kind of like journalistic catnip. Why do you think no one ever questioned it? You know, there's a certain amount of, as a former blogger, the kind of reblog aggregation tendency, you just kind of take things that seem official enough and, and ping them around the internet uh, sometimes when you're on deadline or need to churn out content for the content gods. So I think there's part of that. But also, you know, Richard Montañez was a employee of Frito-Lay until 2019. Like, he worked there. He was saying the story. 
uh, the company wasn't saying anything to disagree with it. I mean, it's it's totally logical that you just believe what he said. I mean, there's no real reason to question uh, a current employee of a company about a product made by that same company. <laughs> yeah, like if they really had an issue with Richard uh, telling his story, you would think they would say something about it. But you spoke with 20 people who worked for Frito-Lay's product development right at the time when Flaming Hot Cheetos came up in the early 90s. What did they tell you about the origins of the snack? Yeah, that's right. I mean, they said that the snack, uh, and this is backed up by press clippings from the time, uh, came from uh, an inspiration in the kind of corner stores, liquor stores, gas stations of Chicago and Detroit. There was a sales guy out there who just saw that there were spicy chips and other products that were just beating Frito-Lay. You know, they were blowing off the shelves. They wanted something to compete. And so uh, I think in his words, he was, you know, fighting mad to get a hot product in the market for Frito-Lay. And so he bumped it up too. This is normally how it works. Salespeople see the stuff on the ground. They bump it back to the corporate mothership in Plano uh, to the marketing department to come up with a new product. And then you had a woman named Lynn Greenfeld who had a really important development when it came to Flamin' Hots. So Lynn Greenfeld was, uh, in 1989, she was fresh out of business school. Um, she was a new hire at Frito-Lay and she was assigned to this, this division. It's kind of like a uh, lesser division than the main ones for Cheetos and Doritos and stuff for single serve, just like small bag stuff you'd pick up at a corner store, you know, 25 cent dollar bags. So she was, uh, it was kind of a junior assignment, you know, it was kind of like, sure, we'll try to make a spicy thing. You know, we can do it in the small format so it doesn't cost us a lot of money and we'll see if it works. So she got this assignment, you know, in her recollection and those of her peers at the time, um, it was her project. It was her first big project. She spent months uh, going on market tours in Detroit and Chicago and Houston, seeing what spicy stuff was out there. Came back, worked with the R&D department to formulate a spicy coating for these products and uh, came up with the name Flamin' Hot and, and helped register the trademark. Greenfeld then had never even heard about Montañez's version of the Flaming Hot story. She didn't hear about it until 2018. She saw a real kind of random blog post on the Esquire magazine website that mentioned that, you know, Richard Montañez had invented Flamin' Hot Cheetos. And she... Um, she was just shocked. I mean, it's, it's kind of, she was just, had had never seen this before. She thought it was really bizarre to see any Frito-Lay employee taking credit for a product because, you know, it's kind of their corporate position that everything's a part of the team. It's all Frito-Lay, uh, you know, intellectual property, things like that. So she got in touch with, um, you know, some friends who still work there in the legal department saying, hey, just want to let you know this guy is making this wild claim. I, you, I just wanted to inform you. And they said, you know, we know, <laughs> you know, of course we know. What, what's the problem? It seems like between when she got in touch in 2018 and when she made the product in 89, 90, uh, you know, the institutional memory had been lost. All the people who had worked directly on it had either moved on or moved so far up, they would never even think to worry about it. And there was even an investigation, right? Yeah. So because she got in touch uh, and was very adamant that she remembered all this stuff and put put the company in touch with a bunch of other people, they started an investigation to see what the truth is behind this story. And they, you know, told us when we got in, in contact with the company for the story that the investigation found that Richard was not involved in the original test market. Uh, the flavor was developed in 1989, you know, that his story is an urban legend with no basis in fact. And that's exactly what they said. Urban legend. That was the exact quote. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty remarkable. So if if they knew that this was an urban legend and that Montañez's claim to being the inventor of Flaming Hot Cheetos wasn't true, why did Frito-Lay not say anything for, you know, good 15 years? Well, the investigation only came in 2018, 2019. So they've had a two-year gap to, to you know, definitely 
say that there's something wrong with this. Uh, but for the longer stretch of time, I mean, I, before that, it's just unclear that they even had any idea. You know, there were some people at the top of the company who had worked there at the time. He had this kind of corporate mentor, Al Carey, who became the CEO of the company. He probably should have known that this story did not quite check out, but it was working for Richard. It was working for the company. And it didn't seem like they had any incentive to really stop him from from talking. Yeah. What, what's the harm of letting this feel good story get in the way of a company selling these totally addictive chips to all sectors of society? He was a great brand ambassador until he wasn't. <laughs> Damn, that savage right there. What, <laughs> what Montañez would not comment for your story. You even went to his house registered under his name to try to get comment. But what has he said ever since the story published? He still won't speak to me. I've tried to get in touch through his uh, son as well, who's kind of his booking agent. He's spoken to a couple, you know, Variety, Entertainment Weekly and stuff. First, he was saying that he was just sad that Frito-Lay would be disputing his story after he worked there for over four decades. And then uh, he came out with a kind of more complicated rebuttal. He's saying that the records are no good. Uh, Frito-Lay is trying to steal his thunder and that he was sending in samples. And that's what uh, inspired the development of this product in the first place. But it really just does not line up with the record that it came from the upper Midwest and went through this corporate process. And notably, he tells the story that there was, you know, 50 or 100, the number changes, uh, top executives that came out to the Rancho Cucamonga plant to see him pitch this product. And eventually that got taken up into the corporate machine. But, um, you know, there aren't that many executive level people at a company at a time. And I spoke with a lot of the people who would have been at that meeting. <laughs> and, uh, and none of them remember hearing anything about a meeting or a guy in Rancho Cucamonga. Uh, and they all do remember that it came out of, you know, the single serve division in the headquarters. So it's just hard to see how that kind of uh, computes. He told Variety that he was the creator of Flaming Hots, but his one mistake is that he should have documented everything. Would that have helped? Uh, sure. I mean, I'd love to see some documentation if he has anything. Uh, and, you know, if he has contemporaries, if there's people who remember this from the time, if there's other people who worked in the corporate headquarters who can back him up, like, I'm all ears. You know, I'd love to hear the full story. And I've been trying to. Um, you know, we felt like we had the full story, uh, you know, even without him talking to us. I, but I would, I would love to speak with him and, and hear what he can remember. Folks on the Internet are now saying that your reporting is just another way that the United States always has to tear down Mexicans. What's your response? You know, I don't think that this story is about uh, tearing him down because he's Mexican. I mean, if, if he had been anyone who was claiming to do this uh, incorrectly, we'd write the same story. You did report that there was a kernel of truth to Montañez's overall story. He did work at a plant in Rancho Cucamonga as a janitor. He did spearhead new products for the Latino market for Frito-Lay. And he did climb up that proverbial corporate ladder. It just doesn't involve him with Flaming Hot Cheetos one bit. Yeah, I mean, he had a great career. He, he did live this great story. I mean, it could be turned into a lot of good inspirational speeches. And he did give inspirational speeches that don't involve Flamin' Hot Cheetos. And, you know, it's a subjective, but they're also inspiring. You know, he did uh, take some initiative and rise up through the ranks. Um, and, yeah, it's just, you know, the, the evidence doesn't show that Flamin' Hot Cheetos were involved. But he was, he did have this kind of small test market um, initiative that he was involved in and the mid 90s, 93, 94 for pitching uh, a chunk of products to the Latino market in Southern California, you know, and that obviously got the ear of some 
some top execs at the company and, and helped him move his way up off the factory floor. The story that you could prove is completely great. Why do you think then he latched onto something that just he doesn't seem to have any basis in passing off as his own? You know, I wish he could tell me that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, just if you, you know, in the most basic sense, Flamin' Hot Cheetos are just uh, unrelated to his story, this iconic brand. You know, um, they were so popular that there was a controversy about banning them in schools in the early 2000s in Pasadena in 2012. Uh, you know, they just have this fan base in a way that most foods just do not. If you wanted to hit your star to something that was already rising, Flamin' Hot Cheetos is a good snack to pick. Thank you for this interview, Sam. Thank you. That was LA Times business reporter Sam Dean. Next up, Richard Montañez told his tale across the country. Audiences worshipped him. Few ever stopped and thought, wait, is he telling the truth? We'll have more after this break. We're back. One of those few Flaming Hot Cheetos skeptics was my jefa, my boss. That would be the Time senior producer, Denise Guerra, who happens to be a Flaming Hot Cheetos fanatic. What's up, Denise? Hey, Gustavo. So why do you love Hot Cheetos so much? Like, Doritos are so much better. Oh, my gosh. It is such a part of my identity. Uh, You know, ever since middle school, which is around the late 90s, I would eat it every day. Um, My mom would give me like $2 a day for lunch and it was pretty cheap. It was only like 50 cents um, to buy and it was very addictive. It's just this sweet, spicy flavor. You just have to keep eating it and eating it. And because it was so spicy, for some reason you couldn't stop eating it or else your mouth would burn. Sometimes I'd be crying eating the bag (laughs) and it would be a good cry because it was, you know, so yummy and such a good experience. And I just kind of developed a persona around it. Um, I would eat it all the time. It was my go to snack. I always had the red Cheeto fingers. Um, I solved that by eating it with chopsticks. (laughs) But when I moved to the East Coast, I realized that the the food carts or the convenience stores didn't carry hot Cheetos. Um, Like not all of them had it. And so I kind of starved out there and I was really upset. Um, So people at home in California would start sending me care packages of hot Cheetos. And then they would also send me swag like um, like socks or like tube tops or like tube top of flaming hot Cheetos. Yeah, it, it, it basically looked like the bag, you know, with Chester Cheetah and the flames. But spandex that you wear around your (laughs) around your body and i just got known for like the woman who really loved hot cheetos and it became kind of a comfort food for me and also a reminder of california because california is where flaming hots started to blow up in the you know throughout your middle school years and then you become an adult you become a radio producer and so you start looking for these stories when did you first hear about this origin story that a mexican janitor created flaming hot cheetos so I was working on a segment. It was called My Big Break. And this is for NPR? Yes, for NPR. And 
it was kind of origin stories of things that blow up in society. Obviously, I turned to Hot Cheetos because I love it so much. And I just did some Googling and it seemed like no one was really talking about um, the story of Richard Montañez. And, you know, it was just the best story ever. You have the son of an immigrant. His family worked in the fields picking grapes, you know, from a janitor. He worked really hard and somehow he becomes this huge executive. And now I'm eating this product that this guy made. And I thought this was just like the best story ever. Obviously, I contact Frito-Lay, the parent company of um, Hot Cheetos, and they were very cagey with me. They were like, uh, hold on. Well, let me let us get back to you. And they never said, you know, he wasn't the founder or, or any comment on it. They just said, oh, yeah, we'll reach out to him and get back to you. And they just never really got back to me. I would follow up for a couple of weeks and became a couple of months. And then I just got nothing. It's the easiest story to play. And Frida-Lay just didn't say anything for all these years. But yet you can't get a simple interview with a guy. So you're thinking like, okay, uh, something's up here. Yeah, here's a story that's out there. It's a good story. It's good PR for your company. And yet you don't want to offer Richard to talk. As Sam Dean uh, said, this was all over the internet at at one point, and they were just like little articles, like YouTube videos as kind of like a fun fact about Cheetos. And to me, it just felt too good to be true. And it's just like you wanted it to be true so bad, but it just seemed like there wasn't any receipts to it. And who would want that story to be false, number one? Number two, so often in the history of Mexican food in the United States, it's always the white people stealing food from Mexicans and then taking credit. Like, my favorite chip is Doritos. And Doritos, Frito-Lay for years would tell everyone that an executive named Arch West, he was the one who got inspired to make Doritos for the idea for Doritos by going to Mexico and, you know, going on vacation and getting the idea from a stall. It wasn't until I did my book, Taco USA, that the truth came out it was actually a Mexican family based in Disneyland who invented Doritos and Arch West got the idea and then just ran with it. So historical erasure of Mexicans with their own food, it's a total thing. So now you hear a story about like, oh, my God, a Mexican actually did it for once. You want to celebrate it and, you, and you're going to tell it without ever thinking maybe it might not be true. Yeah, it's a it's a feel good story and it's a feel good immigrant narrative. And it's really hard being an immigrant in the U.S. You know, you have to work long hours. You're often exploited. And to see somebody just kind of make it gives you a little hope in yourself and in your family and your family's future. But at the end of the day, that's just not the reality. To be an immigrant in this country is a lot of despair, a lot of missed opportunities and systems that don't allow you to get to where you want to be. And I think that's also a big red flag to me because I'm kind of a cynical millennial um, where I don't think that, you know, working as hard as you can really build the American dream. And one of the stories that Richard would say a lot on, you know, on his speaking tours is that as a janitor, he would take pride in how clean the floors were and that he would mop the floors twice to show them that he was a good worker. And it's like so many of us do that to no avail. And it's kind of this harmful myth that if you work hard in America, you will get to that executive suite. But 
nothing is as impenetrable as like getting to an executive. You have to get to like five people and you have to get 15 minutes of their time. It's just really hard to even talk to a CEO, more so if you're at the bottom of the ladder. So I feel like with this myth, we want it to be true so bad and it just like breaks our hearts. Why do people want to believe in those myths? Because it's a myth. You you know, if it was as easy as people make it out to be, there'd be so, so many stories. We wouldn't need Richard Montañez, frankly. And yet, since there's so few, people would think you shouldn't believe in them, but yet they do. We like as a society to hold on to these stories of exceptions, you know, because there's just so few of us in positions of power that if one person is there, you're just like, yes, we can do it, when, which is the reverse. We should not celebrate that. We should be questioning why isn't more black and brown people in the executive boardrooms? Why isn't there more of that? And to hear the story, it's hard to process as like a, the daughter of an immigrant because you know how hard, you know, your parents worked and your community has worked and yet they weren't able to achieve that same success. And that's not that's not putting down anyone who did achieve that. That's so amazing that they did. But there's a problem that it's not the norm. And that's the thing I don't get about Montaña specifically with Flaming Hot Cheetos. It's like we're celebrating a guy who supposedly created junk food and whose biggest consumers are black and brown kids. Is that really something that people should be holding on to? You know, it, it, it's, a, it's a hill of Flaming Hot Cheetos, one worth dying on. <laughs> At the end of the day, Flaming Hot Cheetos is a product to be sold and it is there to just make money and it is cheap. It isn't good for you, but it's very addictive. <laughs> and, you know, I definitely fell for that. No matter who makes it, having that idea that an immigrant helped make this just makes you feel better that you're eating really bad food. Despite all of this, Richard Montañez is going to be fine. He's crying all the way to the bank. And if anything, you're going to have even more of his fans rally around him. I'm already seeing it. A lot of people are saying like, yeah, who cares if Richard did this because white people have been ripping off our culture for decades, for centuries. And so if a Mexican did it once, hey, at least he succeeded in the white man's game. Yeah, but if you have this idea in, in people's minds that it was false, then it kind of makes it seem that any other stories where someone succeeds will have this tinge of doubt to it. It's better to have the truth, to have people back you up, because it's just a fact. Immigrants will always be looked down upon, and I hate to say that, but that's just the, the world we live in, and you're always going to have to fight to prove your worth. And that means having the receipts and that means having to document everything. And I know that Richard said that he should have done that. Either way, he's successful and, you know, all power to him. Uh, If you want to believe in the myth, that's great, too. Frito-Lay is still going to make money off Hot Cheetos. And you're still going to keep eating them. Uh, Definitely. (laughs) Well, as for me, I'm a Doritos man, a product truly, really invented by Mexicans. Thank you so much for this interview, Jefa. Gracias. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, COVID-19 is seeing a surge in Brazil and India. We check in with Times correspondents in Latin America and Asia. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Stephen A. Cuevas, and Denise Guerra. Our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. 
Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editor is Julia Turner. And our theme music is by Andrew Epen. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news in this Madre. Gracias. <laughs>